Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the actor Deborah Messing. For most people, Messing won't need much of an introduction thanks to Will & Grace, the long-running NBC sitcom in which she starred for 11 seasons across 22 years. Theater fans, though, might think of her first as the playwright Julia Houston from NBC's short-lived but long-enduring backstage Broadway melodrama, Smash. And coming up, she'll appear in the Netflix movie adaptation of Jason Robert Brown's musical, 13. Right now, though, she's back on Broadway, playing the lead role in Noah Heidel's play, Birthday Candles. Messing is in the virtual studio with me to talk aging on stage without the assistance of makeup or costume changes, performing for a live studio audience as compared to performing for a Broadway audience, and what she knows about what's next for Smash. Don't miss the chance to get inside the minds of the top marketing leaders and creators at Variety's Entertainment Marketing Summit, presented by Deloitte on May 24th. This day-long conference explores the industry's constantly evolving brand and content strategies, featuring insightful speakers like Hulu's president Joe Early, Dakota Johnson, Aisha Curry, and top marketing visionaries from Spotify, Google, Netflix, WWE, HBO, TikTok, and the Super Bowl champions Los Angeles Rams. Take your career to the next level and form connections that will last far beyond the event. Seating is limited and tickets will go fast. So visit Variety.com slash Marketing Summit and register today. Hey, Deborah, Thanks for joining me. Hey, it's great to be here. So Birthday Candles is a project that you've been attached to for years now. You were in rehearsals uh, for what would have been the spring 2020 uh, Broadway production of the show when the shutdown hit. Um, first of all, I guess before we talk about what kept you attached to the project, how did you first get involved? The uh, the project started in 2018 at the Detroit Public Theater. And um, Noah Heidel, the playwright, asked Vivian Benish, who ended up directing the Broadway play, to do the workshop. And the two of them went through several iterations together. And then um, 
And then when the roundabout asked to have a reading, they were trying to think who they wanted to ask to do the reading. And ironically, it wasn't Vivian, <laughs> who was my classmate uh, in the uh, MFA program at Tisch. Oh, wow. Um, it was Noah who turned to her and said, weren't you classmates with Deborah Messing? <laughs> and she said, oh my God, she's perfect. Mm. So I got an email from her saying, I know you're busy. You know, here's this play we would love for you to read. Give it a read and see if you feel like you want to do it. Wow. And I read it and I laughed out loud and I sobbed and I immediately called her back and I said, I'm in, I'm in forever. Yeah. For as long as you have me, I'm in. Yeah. Was the way the original production was originally scheduled, it was would have happened sort of right as you had just wrapped up the kind of return run of Will and Grace. Is stage something or Broadway something that was kind of on your mind to get back to specifically, or was it really the project that called you back? Oh, uh, uh both really. I mean, I, you know, I would, I would say that theater is my first love. Um, it was always my plan to have a life in theater. If I was lucky enough to, um, be able to be a journeyman, that was my goal when I got out of, out of uh, graduate school. Um, and my life took me to Los Angeles for a chunk of time. And, um, I was always looking for a way to get back on stage in New York. Yeah. Um, I ultimately got back on doing Outside Mullingar by John Patrick Shanley, which I loved doing. Um, but there were several projects prior to that that I was offered that we were trying to make work with the schedule and it just never happened. Mm. So I, I think it's fair to say I've been frustrated mm. for many, many, many years. Um, and then obviously when I fell in love with this script, uh, I, I just, I, I, I was <laughs> very myopic. Mm. I just was like, we, we, we have to, we have to do this. We have to do this. Mm. And do you have a sense of, because you were, you know, in rehearsals and forming your character in 2020, do you have a sense of how Ernestine, the character you play, how your Ernestine now is different than she was the one you were playing back in 2020? I think the whole play is different mm. due to the, the pandemic. I think that when we returned, we all looked at each other and the very first thing we said is, okay, we have to acknowledge that we are all different people than we were two years ago. Mm. Um, and, and that sort of freed us up to not have to try to, uh, you know, replicate what we were doing. We were in our second week of rehearsal, you know, looking toward uh, tech. I would say that um, the, the, the moments that explore uh, loss and um, breach of connection um, the, the surprise tragedies that happen in life. I think that the pandemic made all of those moments feel very present 
and very relevant. And so I think we we all just um, I think just dropped into into it on a deeper level. And what's it been like for you all? But you're back with almost the entirety of the cast that would have been in the 2020 production. What's it been like for you all to finally get to do it on stage? Oh my God, it's heaven. We are we are so happy. Um, Every day we warm up together at 7.15 before half hour. And we, you know, come together in a circle to wish each other a good show. And we are just constantly looking at each other and saying, we are the luckiest actors alive because this group of actors, they're extraordinarily talented, number one. And they're incredible, incredibly generous collaborators. And we all have a similar vocabulary, I think is fair to say, acting vocabulary. And it just, it feels, it feels like home. There, there is nothing about this experience that um, I would want to change. And, I, and I'm pretty confident that if you asked any of the cast members, they would say the same thing, which you know, is a rare thing to be able to say. And so I think that every day, you know, we look at each other and say, okay, this is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. So we are going to, to enjoy every minute of this because you know, we, we all know it's a limited run. Um, yeah, but uh, it, it's, I would say this is a role of my lifetime. And I would say that this is the theatrical experience of my life. And it's uh, literally the role of a lifetime and that you live an entire lifetime over the course of, you know, whatever it is, 100 minutes or something. Um, you go from 17 to 107. Is that right? Um, Correct. Tell me a little bit about the aging. It's a thing that you do without, you know, makeup and you don't really have any costume changes or anything. You just sort of, you're there on stage getting older. Tell, tell us a little bit about sort of how you approach that and uh, what you found. Well, aging 90 years and 90 minutes was the thing that excited me the most mm-hmm. about uh, the challenge. Um, it, it made me feel like I was back in graduate school. Mm-hmm where for better or for worse, our instructors made us feel like we could do anything. And in my third year, I was actually cast as an 86 year old woman in a Harold Pinter play. And one of my teachers said, I think that's the best work you've done. And so it just made me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm going back into transformational art, which is the thing that excites me the most and inspires me the most. It also terrified me yeah. um, because my goal was for the audience to experience my aging very gently, that there would, there would, except of course from 17 to 39, that that there wouldn't be any jarring changes because there is a dreamlike quality to the play. I wanted my aging to sort of reflect that. Um, 
but I had a lot of help. I, I spoke with my, my vocal teacher, Liz Kaplan, um, who helps me with singing, but I said, you know, I, I want you to explain to me what happens to the larynx as we age. Hmm. And it was fascinating. I learned so much from her about what happens during puberty, what happens during menopause, how each stage of life in a woman's life, what happens to their voice. So that was sort of, I would say the, the building block, like the, you know, the structure from which I was, I was going to try and fill. And then I, I visited an old age home and interviewed two people who were over a hundred, mm. which was um, just fascinating. And uh, I, I, I feel so grateful that they gave me their time. And then I watched a bunch of YouTube um, videos of interviews with people who were a hundred years and older. Um, and that was really uh, delightful, but also instructive. Mm. And, you know, there, there are many, many things that happen in this play. So I also researched, you know, bipolar disorder mm. and, and what happens to a family when they experience a suicide. Mm. And um, what happens when a family has to deal with dementia or a stroke. Um, so all, all of those things I, I sort of put into different <laughs> sort of um, subjects in my, my self-made school of, okay, I'm going to explore this today. I'm going to look into this. And, um, and in terms of my body, I, I met with my physical therapist. I actually was in a, a bad car accident several years ago. And um, so, you know, my, my neck is a mess and I, my, my, my lower back is messed up from all the physical comedy from Will and Grace, right. because when you're 30, you're like, I'm going to throw my body into this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was, I was able to talk with her again about, you know, how the body degrades, mm. you know, starting with 30 and learning that you know from 30 to 35 is a huge jump in the body's degrading and so you know where in the body things would start to get stuck things that you know where gravity would um sort of win win out and um all of that made me feel comfortable and secure to then just just do it mm. to just you know and and i couldn't really find it until we started doing run-throughs mm. and um i i turned to our director and vivian and i said you know you are my eyes so you have to help you have to help me in terms of the aging and you know when i we first started doing it she would say you age too quickly and I was like, oh, oh, okay. And she's like, no, you have to wait until your voice from this to this was too much of a jump. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so it was fascinating to 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 work internally, but also externally. Yeah. Is there a quick and sort of uh, way to give us a sense of what the through line is for your voice or your body in terms of you know you mentioned where your thing where things start to break down for people like where does Ernestine start yeah. to break down? Yeah, I mean. You know, when you meet Ernestine, she has a very strong, solid voice um, and is <laughs> is very physically adept. Um, you know, she she talks quickly. She she runs around the stage easily. Um, and I would say by by 50, I think that as an audience member, you really notice from 39 to 50, um, I think you start to notice, oh, she's, she's, she's slowing down and her gait is changing. Um, and my voice uh, would, would slowly become less, less solid. Um, and I would say that another, another tell would be when I got into my eighties, the, the, the voice goes much higher because of what happens to the vocal folds. Mm. And so it was a matter of, you know, finding that upper range that was lighter and breathier, but could also be heard. Um, you know, that, that was a challenge. And then by the end of, you know, at 107, I'm, I'm basically at a 90 degrees as I'm walking. Um, and that was actually somebody I saw on the sidewalk mm. and I couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I just slowly sort of folding over and the, the gate sort of changing, um, pace and also the, the weight of this, the footsteps. I'll have more with Deborah right after the break. And now here's more with the actor Deborah Messing. You spent years on Will and Grace performing in front of a live studio audience. How much is that similar or different to the experience of performing live for a Broadway audience? The reason why I love doing Will and Grace was because outside of the theater, it is the the medium that is most closely um, experienced at, as a theatrical experience because it is in front of a live audience, because there are several cameras and those cameras are far away. And so you don't ever have to play to a camera or minimize yourself for film. Um, I would say, I guess I would say just, just having that dialogue, that dialogue with the audience is the thing that, that feels the most in common. I mean, the, with Will and Grace, you know, we would only get, we would only run through a, a scene once or twice. And then 
they would run out and say, okay, cut this line, cut this, cut this, cut this. This is your new joke, your new joke, your new joke. And so literally it was like improv in, in a way because I would say 25% of what you see on television, we're saying those lines for the first time. Um, so obviously that you, you experience it in your body in a completely different way than when you are really living and growing and expanding in a part. But, um, you know, we knew when a joke worked and when it didn't. And, um, similarly, there are, you know, moments in the play, uh, and we're able to sort of define what kind of audience we have based on their reactions to those moments. Um, but that's, that's really it. There's, there's really, there's really nothing like it. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's the, it's the coming together and working as a, a unit that makes it so magical and so special because when you're working on a film or a single camera television show, inevitably that camera is just going to be very, you know, inches away from your face. And the whole point of that shot is just what you do and has nothing to do with anybody else that you're acting with. And they often take the actor away from you because you can't even see it. So um, it, it feels, it feels less, um, it feels less like art to me and uh it feels more like a, a craft hmm. a certain skill set that you need to have but you know the fulfillment of of finding the character and living in the character um i mean i lived i lived with grace 11 years and and i and already you know, my experience of Ernestine is is far more satisfying mm. than than Grace. And is that a function of living sequentially, or living or re-experiencing, or do you have a sense of why that why that connection is so much deeper for you in the character? I guess I would say because she ages ninety years, and because she goes through so much. Um, you know, I, it, it, it forces me to consider things that I normally am not asked to consider when it's just one role that is based in one moment in time. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I feel it. I feel it very deeply. The thing that I think is magical about this play is it seems to make people feel like it's incredibly personal to them. So when I read it, I was crying because I was thinking about my mother. And I was like, oh, this, this play is, it's, it's, was written for me, you know? And then, but every night when I come off stage and I see audience members and they're crying or they're, you know, or they're laughing and they say, oh my God, that was my grandmother up there. Or, oh my God, we went through that 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 really that really hit home i think that's sort of the the genius of of what noah has has sort of laid out yeah. Yeah. okay because this is a theater podcast 
we have to talk about Smash for just a second. Um, sure. I, it is, of course, something that has a really rabid following, particularly among theater folks, among probably a lot yeah. of people who are coming to see uh, Birthday Candles. What's been your experience of that fandom, which has lasted way beyond the lifespan of that show? I know. Hmm. Um, I love Smash so, so much, hmm. I can't even put into words. Um, being able to play a character where it's my job to sit behind a table and watch real Broadway actors sing and dance in front of me for hours on end. Mm -hmm. I mean, I should have been paying them to, for the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I never wanted it to end. But um, yeah, in some way, I think there is an overlap in terms of you know, the audience for Will and Grace and the audience for Smash mm -hmm. in that I think the fans of Smash felt unrepresented mm -hmm. prior to Smash yeah. and, um, you know, or diminished or judged for choosing a life in the theater. And um, I mean, I, I, I could, I, I don't think it's it's a, it's a stretch to say that that most people who choose this life at some point someone very close to them um makes you feel like this choice is kind of like you don't want to grow up you don't want to have a real job um and smash was like uh the Wizard of Oz. It pulled the curtain back and you were able to see everything that goes into it and the raw talent that is required and and the business aspect of it and how complicated it is. Um, and I and I think that's that is why it has such a rabid fan base. Yeah. Do you still get asked about your character's scarves, for instance, and all the <laughs> I I I don't and I will always, I will always defend her scarves. <laughs> I will always defend them. She was a Brooklyn mom at the time, at a certain time in the and you know, from the beginning they wanted something to sort of make her stand out as someone who was not a performer. Um but I I do you think it's funny that that was such such strong feelings about all of her scarves? Um, <laughs> it is funny. It's I feel like there is a lot of uh, people like to dunk on that show, and people love yeah. that show, and they are often the same people, right? Like it's yes, it's because yes. I feel like they're so attached to the subject matter that they have very strong opinions. I think. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, you know, I I feel like. When somebody creates a world, when someone creates a, uh, you know, a universe such as the people in the world of Smash, that they should do what they think is, is the journey of all of these characters. And if it doesn't work, we all say we did our best. Um, I don't think it's the it ever really works to fire the person who created the show after a year and bring someone on who had nothing to do with the show 
to run it um, because it made it feel like two different shows, two different years. It, it, it confused our audience. And, um, and I think that that was the reason why it failed. Um, yeah, but you know, I'm, I, we still, you know, have joked about, okay, if they want to do like a smash movie, I'm in, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, or a return, like a will and grace return. Right. Or yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Where are they now? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, Bob Greenblatt and Neil Marin are working on a Broadway musical adaptation of this. Do you know anything about that? Are you involved in that? Would you want to be involved? I, in am, that? I am so excited. <laughs> I mean, I obviously, while we were shooting Smash, everyone was looking at each other and was like, okay, when is this going to be a Broadway show? Right. So it was just a matter of time and a matter of finding the right book writer. Um, but um, I've spoken to Bob and 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 I, I have some insight into what the show will be. Um, Can you tell us about any I of it? No. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm not involved okay. in it. Um, but I am very, very, very excited to see it. Do you, if someone were to say, hey, we're doing karaoke and we want you to sing a song from Smash, which one would you sing? What's your favorite song, Smash song? Oh, gosh. Um, assuming I could sing it? Sure, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fantasy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, keep on moving that the line. Hmm. Okay, yeah. It's 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 the eleven o'clock, mm -hmm. you know, song that Megan Hilty sings. That it just keeps modulating up and up and up. I mean, it just. I remember we yeah. shot that in the plaza, and mm -hmm. I remember sitting at the piano and watching her do it over and over and over again. And I just felt Christian and I both just sort of levitate yeah. with just <laughs> absolute excitement and shock yeah. about what she was doing you know it's just and that's uh you know that's shaman and whitman yeah yeah um speaking of singing you're in a new musical that is coming out uh on netflix sometime this summer i believe late summer um 13 um yes. tell us a little bit about your involvement in that did you see the show back when it was on broadway i never saw it mm. i did not um i I obviously knew Neil from Smash, mm. and I was informed that they were expanding the book and including a few adults, um, namely his mother and his grandmother and his father. And um, they wanted me to play the mother. And they said, and you'll be singing. And I, I sang in Dirty Dancing, the, the remake of Dirty Dancing, yeah. and that was really scary and exciting. And I just thought, you know what? I'm still scared to do it, so let's do it. Um, and it, it, we ended up going up during, you know, right in the middle of the pandemic mm -hmm. in Toronto, where things were really locked down. Mm -hmm. um, and... I spent a couple of weeks with, you know, all of these kids who were so talented and so just green and fresh. And, you know, you just could see the dreams that they have for their future. And, 
it was it was amazing. It really was amazing. And I got to do a duet with with my son. Mm. And uh, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. It comes out um, August 12th. Great. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be on uh, in Birthday Candles until May 29th. And the Tony season mm -hmm. is coming up. How do you, what's your feeling about you know, award seasons and competition and all that stuff. How do you deal with it? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I would say I, I hope that my work just speaks for itself. You know, I, I mean, I, I've been watching the Tonys since I was a kid mm. and as an adult, I, I don't think I've ever been aware of there being campaigns mm um for, for tony nominations at least you know not not as a non tony voter right. um not in the same way that it, it that it does for the emmys and the oscars where it it's very concerted um but the the fact that we're even having a conversation with the term the tonys mm. in it um it really is a dream come true yeah. i mean i know that's a cliche but um it 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 is it is and what's next for you after birthday candles oh boy i'm gonna sleep mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and um take my son to college mm -hmm. um and I am developing a TV show mm -hmm. that would shoot on the East Coast. Um, and just reading reading scripts. And I, you know, my, my agents, I would say, might be a little frustrated with me right now because my standards are so high in terms of the kind of character that I am able to sink my teeth in into that you know what they send for film or is like no <laughs> that's that's not very exciting to me mm. you know it, it's 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 hard to go to that from ernestine mm. so um but from the time i graduated from nyu i've i've always been that way where i'm like i it, it the script is the thing it's always the thing and it's worth waiting for. Mm. And so I'm just going to continue to do what I've always done, which is, you know, just continue to, to try and learn and grow and, um, and hope that my work will somehow produce opportunities mm. that are, are varied uh, in the future. Yeah. Well, we will look forward to the script that gets you back uh, on stage again after Big Oh, yeah. me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Deborah. Thanks for your time. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. That was Deborah Messing, now starring on Broadway in Birthday Candles. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. 
or tell a friend about Stragecraft, or give us a shout-out on social media. Find past episodes and subscribe on all the pod places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.